This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Is Pasha Vayeshev. There's a lot going on in Pasha Vayeshev. But we're going to start off with something that happened this week. So I got a phone call last, last week that um, there was a mother, a, very, a, a, a girl from a very, very from um, school in Brooklyn. And she was a 10th grader, 11th grader. 11th grader, and she told her mother, I don't believe in Hashem. And, even if there is a Hashem, he definitely didn't write the Torah. You can't prove that, I'm not allowed to ask these questions in school, and I don't, I don't, I don't believe that, that I think, I think that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote, Moshe wrote the Torah, not Hashem. Her mother said, okay, we're going to Wallstein. <laughs> so, um, they called me up. Ah, anyway, so she comes. She's a very intelligent girl. The minute she walked into my office, I knew she's a very, you could tell she's a really smart girl. So she sits down, and you have to understand, a, a Bisaka girl, a very from girl, who doesn't believe in Hashem, that doesn't make any sense, right? So we always can figure out that, you know, you don't leave your environment um, willingly. So if you left your environment, you're brought up in a Jewish home, and your friends are all in base Yaakov school, and you're and you, and you this is the way of your life. You don't wake up all of a sudden in eleventh grade like I don't believe in Hashem. Who wrote the Torah? I don't believe in who wrote the Torah. Like, so something had to happen. I knew that, and 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 you know we always say that the questions are not real questions. The questions that people have are their answers to their behavior. So if you want to do bad things, you got to get rid of God. Is this God? You don't want to do bad things because. You're not supposed to. But if you get rid of Hashem, if you're an atheist, you can do whatever you want. You can eat people. And there's nothing wrong with eating people. The Torah said, they didn't say you can't eat people. We would eat people. I read something fascinating. This must be 20 years ago in Time Magazine. I believe it was Time Magazine. Maybe Newsweek, maybe Time, whatever it was. They went into the Amazon. And in the Amazon, there are cannibals. Cannibals eat people. Right? There are kosher cannibals. They only eat kosher meat, so that's a joke. Don't don't take me seriously, right? There was a terrible movie many many years ago. I think it was called Survivor. A true story where a plane went down in the woods in South America, and there was nothing there, and they had nothing to eat, so they were eating the victims of the plane. Terrible true story. They were actually eating the people who got killed in the crash. The people that were alive, they had no food, so they ate those people. So right after that. I, um, I was on a plane, and this guy that was sitting next to me kept looking at me and kept looking at me, and my yarmulke kept looking at me and kept looking at me. Um, so I said, why are you looking at me? He said, did you see the movie Survivor? I'm like, no. He goes, because I only eat kosher meat. I said, I think I want to move my chair. I hope we don't crash. So anyway, so they had this article that they came to the cannibals. They're still to this day. They eat people. And they asked them, like, civilization, like, get with the program. You know, you go to the cannibals. They have a di- They have a, what's it called? A satellite dish. They have. They're watching some kind of movies. They have a satellite dish. But they're still savages eating people. So the guy, the guy who interviewed them said, like, hello. It's not, you know, it's, it's civilization. So this cannibal says to the reporter really he says we kill people to live we kill them we eat them 
we do an average of one person to two people a day for the whole village. You, at that time, I think there's a war going on, maybe Iraq, I don't know what it is. You bomb and kill thousands of people and you don't even eat them. You just kill them for oil or politics or land and you just, you don't even eat them. You just kill them for no reason. So who's the savages? We're eating two people a day. You're killing hundreds of thousands with all your bombs and missiles and you don't even use them. You don't even eat them. So you're like, was this guy crazy? No, he's not crazy. We don't eat people because we're brought up that way. But if you were, if you were born to a cannibal, eating people is like eating, like, like eating a steak in kosher delight. It's like, it's no, there's no difference. You know, the immorality and morality is, is, so, I don't know how I got off to that subject. I have no idea. But anyway, um, please don't eat people. But it says the Torah, the Torah, if it wasn't given in the Torah, it would happen like in the animal kingdom, the big animal eats the little animal. In the fish kingdom, the big fish eats the little fish. So in the human kingdom, the person who is more powerful should subject the other person who is less powerful. The Torah says you can't kill a person, you can't steal a person, you can't steal from a person, you can't kidnap a person. But the Torah didn't write that in the laws of nature. The bigger the animal, he eats the smaller animal. No one complains that a lion eats a, eats a sheep. Because that's where Hashem created the world. So that, we, we, the morality in the world is because that the, you know, the Torah says that that's what, ha- that's what has to be. But anyway, that's not what we discussed. So this was discussed. So I, I didn't want to go and attack her and say, hello, what's going on? You're talking to a boy? Like you have to get rid of Hashem? Like all of a sudden you've got questions on Hashem? In seventh grade you had no questions? In eleventh grade, what, like what? I don't, I don't want to start with her that way because in the, that wasn't the direction that I wanted to go. But I knew something was going on that she needed to get rid of Hashem. For whatever reason, she wanted to misbehave. For whatever reason, she wanted to get rid of Hashem. But I wasn't going to go there. So I said to her, you don't believe, you don't believe the Torah? You don't believe Hashem gave the Torah? I'll prove it to you. So everyone in this room had Rabbi Mechanic come to them. You know that he gets up. Project Chazon is amazing. And he brings you proof that Hashem wrote the Torah. One of his proofs is that in Pasha Shemini, when it talks about kosher and not kosher, it says that the only animal in the world, this is what I'm telling the girl, the only animal in the world that has split hooves and doesn't chew its cud is a pig. To be kosher, you have to chew your cud and you have to have split hooves. There's one animal in the world that has split hooves, so he looks kosher, but he doesn't chew his cud. What does chewing a cud mean? Like a cow, they eat the food, it goes back, they throw it up in their mouth, they chew it again, it goes back. A cow does that seven times because it's hay until he gets it like that he can digest it. So the Torah says there's one animal in the world that chews its cud, that has split hooves, that doesn't chew its cud, the chazir. I said, and since the Torah was written, no one has ever found an animal besides a chazir that has split hooves and doesn't chew its cud. Now, if Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the Torah, he would never put into it something that could be wrong. Because if we find an animal in the Amazon that has split hooves and doesn't chew its cud and it's not a pig, it means that the whole Torah is not true. Because the Torah says there's only one animal. Now, how could anyone know that there's only one animal in the world? It has to be the creator. If I created every animal, I can make a statement, there is no animal that I created 
besides the pig that has split hooves that no, doesn't chew its cud. No human being can make that statement. No human being knows every animal in the world. So with Moshe Rabbeinu, he would never write in the Torah something that might not be true. Maybe they're going to find, 2,000 years after he wrote it, some animal in the Amazon that he didn't know about. He said, that's number one proof. Number two proof, you're going to tell me that Moshe Rabbeinu was a zoologist. And he knew every animal in the world. Right? He had a telescope and he was looking all over the place. It says that there's no fish in the world that has scales and doesn't have fins. Now, nobody knows what fish is under the ocean. Every time they pull a net out of the ocean, they find new fish. Sorry, forgot to turn off my smartphone. A dumb phone in a smart pocket makes it a smartphone. Dumb people have smartphones. Smart people have dumb phones. Thank you very much. I have to always stick in something about phones. But anyway, tonight I had to send a text in front of somebody. And the poor girl was sitting there. And she's like, and I'm like, I have to go through three letters to get to every letter. And she's like, Rabbi Wallerstein, can I do you a favor? She was in so much pain. Can I do you a favor? I'm like, what? She goes, can I buy you a smartphone? It takes you too long to send a text. Anyway, everyone who's watching, you don't need anything more than that. So, the fish, you don't see. So, how could anyone make a statement? You're never going to pull out a fish from under the water that has... Scales and no fins. There's no such thing. That has to be Hashem. Because even you tell me Moshe, you know, Shabbat was looking. Okay. So I was really proud of myself. And I said to her, you see, you can't argue with these proofs. This kid was smart. And all the years that I've said these two proofs, nobody ever answered me this answer. She says, yeah, Rabbi Wallstein, I don't agree with you. It's not a proof. I'm like, why isn't it a proof? She says, a person like Moshe, right, or any person who lives, he lived in the Middle East, right? So he saw all the animals that live there. So he thought that those are the only animals in the world. He didn't know about South America. He didn't know about New York, America. He didn't know about the Amazon. So if he wrote the Torah, he would write, there's no such thing, because he saw a pig, right? There's no such thing outside of a pig, because that's what he thought, because that's all he saw. So that doesn't mean, I said, but Lamai said he was right. Okay, he saw what he saw, and he was right. But it doesn't mean that it was God that wrote the Torah. It's like, whoa. So as far as the fish are concerned, all the fish that they got out of the Nile, they came out of the Nile, right, had fins and scales. He never saw a fish that had scales and no fins. So he wrote, there's no such thing. Because that's where he, that's what he, that's where he lived, and that's what he believed. So it's not a proof that God wrote the Torah. I was like, you're very smart. I never heard that. No one ever came back with that to me. So, but I have to tell you something. Hashem knew that you were going to come to me this Monday. And this Shabbos, when I was reading the Chumash, God showed me a proof that you cannot question. So, two proofs. This week, this week, no, I'm sorry. Last week, in Pashish by Yishlach, it says the following. When Rachel died, she died, they buried her on the way to Ephrasa, which is Beis Lechem. 
Yaakov put a monument on her where she was buried. He, Matseva, Kivras, Rochel, Ad Hayom. This monument, the Chomash says this, this monument is on top of Rochel's grave till today. How could anybody write that 4,000 years ago to write that every day you open your Chomish, tomorrow, the next day, in 100 years, in 200 years, every time you open your Chomish, in 200 years from now, it says that Keva Rachel, the building, the monument on Keva Rachel, will be there. Greek dynasty, Babylonian dynasty, Roman dynasty, Beislechem belonged to the Arabs till 1948. Rachel Imenu has nothing to do with the Arabs. It's not like Morris HaMachpelah where Avram Avinu was his father, Yishmael. There was no reason for them not to knock that down and build a church on it. It's a, it's a very big Christian place, Bethlehem. They believe Yashka, whatever. They didn't build a church on it. The Arabs never burnt it down. They burnt down, our, they burnt down Yosef HaTzadik's kever. How could someone write in the Torah 4,000 years ago that any, whenever you read it, today when you open your Chumash, in Israel, there is a monument on Rachel Menu's grave. I said to her, how can anyone but God write that? Only God, the creator, who knew that it's going to be there until Mashiach comes and who protects it from being destroyed, can write that when you open your Chumash in 2017 and 2018, it says, Ad Hayom, until today, today, Wednesday. You look in Israel, there's a, there's a, there's a monument on it. I said, that Moshe Rabbeinu could not write. Because how would he know that in 4,000 years, between all these empires, they didn't, wouldn't knock it down and build something. In Europe right now, there are malls, malls built on forum, on graves. More super malls, apartment buildings, police stations. The Goyim don't respect our monuments. Torah says, and I only saw this, I only realized this, this Shabbos. And she sat there and she said, that's very interesting. Because the Torah had to be given by God because any man that would have written this is very possible that it could have been destroyed and then the whole Torah is not true. If Kevin Rachel is not there, I'm going to McDonald's, I'm getting a cheeseburger. Not that I really want a cheeseburger. I don't think that would be the first step I would take, but it definitely would be a step. So that's one. Then, go back a little bit, and it says the following. When Yitzchak was drill, was, um, was making wells, he was making wells, and he called it Beersheva. They made a meal. They ate. They got up. They showed And they said we didn't find water. They called it the seventh well that they dug. The name of that city is Beersheva. At Hayom Hazer. Again, till today. Different, different countries, different names, different cities, Samaria, all these other things. The Torah says, Beersheva will be Beersheva until the end of time. 
How can the Torah say that? How do you know? It wasn't changed to some other capital city or whatever it is. And the answer is, God wrote little things, snippets in the Torah that are here today to prove that it wasn't written by a man, but that it was written by a Kurdish Baruch So then we started talking about whatever, and I found out why she didn't believe in Hashem, and had nothing to do with Hashem. My proof is that I've never had in 40 years of teaching someone come to me and say, I don't believe in angels. The Torah talks about a lot of angels. Vishach Yaakov Malachim, he said angels. And there were angels going up and down the ladder. There's a lot of angels. And the three angels that came to Abraham Avinu. How come no Vishach or any girl who was going off the derech, who doesn't believe, right? How come they never came to me and said, Wallstein, I don't believe in angels. How come it's always I don't believe in Hashem? You ever saw an angel? Did an angel ever talk to you? You ever hear from an angel? You ever see an angel? They have wings, they don't have wings, they have two feet, they have one foot. No girl, no guy ever came over to me and said, you know, the Torah talks about angels. I don't believe in it, I never saw one. How come no one ever asks about angels? All you girls, you've gone through school, you never had a question about the three angels that came to Yaakov. Three angels dressed up as Arabs. I don't believe, I never saw an angel. Why is anyone asking that? You know why? Because the angel doesn't tell you what to do. There's no reason to get rid of an angel. He doesn't give you any mitzvahs. He doesn't tell you what to do. So if Hashem didn't tell me what to do, okay, there's a God. God wouldn't bother you. If God didn't tell you what to do, God created the world, there's a God. Beautiful. What's, well, you know, it's nice. What do I have to worry about? There's a God in the world. The reason that we have problems and have questions is because we don't like that Hashem is in the world because He gave us the mitzvahs and sneers and this and that and davening and I don't want to do all that stuff. But if there's a God in the world, I have to do all that stuff. So what do I do? I get rid of God. So then I had my discussion with her and we got to the bottom of what, where, where it was really coming from. But she thought it was very cool that it says that the Beersheba is Adayim Azeh and that Kebaruchel is Adayim. So that's a new proof. So I called up Rabbi Mechanic right away. I was all excited. I found a new proof. I said, Mechanic, did you ever use the proof that uh, Kevin Rochel is still here today? Should we all use it all the time? I'm like, really? How about Beersheba? We use it all the time. I'm like, anything that I should know that uh, that you use? He says, did you use the Kaisel? I said, what does it say about the Kaisel? He says, it's a Gemara. It says that the Kaisel will be there until the third base Amigdash. He said, wars, bombings, Jordanians had it. Why don't Jordanians knock it down? It means nothing to them. The Western world means nothing. They didn't have a base of English. Why don't they knock it down? It was in their territory. And it was where the Jews went to pray. It's a good reason to knock it down. He says the Gemara says that it will never be knocked down. So that's a proof from the Gemara. I don't know the Gemara. You have to ask Rabbi Mechanic. Okay. So anyway, anyone, anyone out there that thinks that Hashem didn't write the Torah, Kabarachal's still there. I was just there not long ago. So... It seems to be that Hashem wrote the Torah. And Hashem created, Hashem created the world, you have to be a moron to think that the world created itself. It's moronic. How could something create itself? We don't know who Hashem is. You want to go into Kabbalah things, you can do whatever you want. But if I told you that this Chomish, i got to tell you a great story. You know what happened last night? I had a bunch of paper from my fax machine and it was on my desk. And I had this, someone bought me the, one of those very fancy 
pens, you know, you have to dink, dip into the inkwell. So I had this beautiful inkwell I got for Hanukkah, a fountain pen, beautiful. You guys don't even know what that is. But anyway, they don't use it. They don't use pens today. They type. And then when you want to get out, you have to escape. You should know that one of the biggest things um, that technology has hurt is letters. Because I found, I just was going through a folder of letters that I got from my grandmother when I was nine years old. Birthday card and, to, and, and other things. And like, I, could, I could, yeah, I save everything. I save every letter that a girl ever wrote to me. Every single letter. I told them when I go, throw it in. What? No, home. Not my home. Not emails. Like letters that I got from whatever over the years. It's 40 years. Of course I save it. And every time I feel like I'm like not helping anybody, I read them. But if you have emails, you don't read them. They get, they get, they're on your computer, they're on your phone. So when someone types something to you, it's not, it's not for keeps. So the postcards, you don't go, what's a postcard? So it's this little, little cardboard thing with a stamp on it, you know? So in camp, I got, you had to get, you, you had to write postcards just so to get postcards. And you used to always run to the mail to see if you got a postcard. I have all those postcards. What are kids from camp gonna have today? They, they're, they, they're, they're getting emails, they don't keep the emails. Throw out the emails. You don't understand a postcard, what that was in camp to get a postcard. And the kid who got the most postcards. It's a big thing. Oi! We lost so much. Okay. So this week's Pasha by Yeshiv is a very good lesson. Very good lesson. In two things. One, Hakar Satov we're going to talk about. One, Hakar Satov. And one, not to be Cheshit Bikshayrim. Not, the, what you see is not really always What's going on? Okay, so let's talk about Yosef HaTzadik. Yosef HaTzadik was 17 years old. He was a shepherd. And he was protecting the children of Bilah and Zilpah because they were shvachos, they were maidservants, they weren't the main children. And he did a very bad thing, Yosef. He told his father that the brothers... Where the layer, the brothers were making fun of the Bill and Zilpa, and he told the father that he saw the the brothers, the Shvatim, eating Aver Menachai. Aver Menachai means that you eat from an animal that you didn't shecht. You just cut off the leg, put it in the fire, cut off the other leg, cut off the head. You don't shecht it. You don't salt it. You don't take the blood out. Whatever you, you're eating it while it's alive. How is it possible that the Shvatim would eat something that's alive without shechting it? They were the biggest tzaddikim in the world. How is it possible that they were making fun of their brothers that were born from Bila and Zilpah? These were, these were the Shvatim. So there's something called the Sefi Yitzira. I'm sure you never heard of it, but because it's not really what they teach you in girls' school. Avram Avinu wrote a sefer called Sefer Yitzira. That's in that sefer is written how to create. That sefer was, I think, maybe even came down from Adam, but it's a sefer that was written that you're able to create things like Hashem. The only thing you can't create is the neshama, but the physical, anything physical you could create, the neshama comes from Hashem. Like the Gailam, they created Gailam. The Gailam was. Was a, was a body part, but he wasn't, he had no brain. The very famous story, the Marami Prague made a Gailam. That's why if you go to, Mar, if you go to Prague, 
you don't go upstairs on the attic of the shul because that's where the goyim is. And they say when the Nazis came, the Nazis tried to go up there. Two guys went up there. They were screaming. And they never found. They never came back down. So like nobody messes with the guy with that. So the guy, the morale we probably created because at that time the guy, the non-Jews were saying that the Jews were using blood to make the matzahs. So he created this guy to watch Prague. If there are any people going and trying to hide blood and, 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 and say that the Jews did it. But he had no brain. He had fire, water, air, and dirt. That's what the four elements of a human being. But he had no brain. He had no neshama because that comes from Hashem. So, and he told his wife, Never to use the golem. Don't use him. He's not for you. He's to protect the city. One day, she had to go somewhere, and she didn't have any water in the house. So she told the golem to go to the well and get and fill up a pail of water. Okay. She comes home, and the whole house is underwater. Because she told him to get, to get a pail of water, she never told him to stop. So he didn't have a brain, like the scarecrow in uh, The Wizard of Oz. He didn't have a brain. So he kept going a whole day, water, 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 water. So this was, he was created from the four elements that a human being is created from. In the Seyfi Yitzira, which could be that Moral had it, I don't know. I don't know how he did what he did, but in the Seyfi Yitzira, um, you can create an animal. The brothers, the six sons of Leah, Study the Sefer Yitzira. And it was Erev Shabbos, and it was close to Shabbos, and they didn't, they were busy working, and they realized they only have a few minutes to Shabbos. And they needed food for the, for Shabbos. They needed meat for Shabbos. You have to eat meat on Shabbos. But they couldn't shift an animal, salt it, take out all the veins, and everything they had to. So they took the Sefer Yitzira and they created an animal. And an animal that's created, not born, from the Sefi Yitzir, it doesn't need shechita. You don't have to shecht it. You know, the blood is not considered real blood. The whole animal doesn't have any halachas of a earth-born animal. So they didn't have any time. So they created this animal, and they didn't shecht it. He, they didn't shecht it. They cut off the arm, they killed it, and they cut off the arm, whatever they had to do, but they didn't shecht it. And Yosef saw from afar that his brother didn't shecht the animal, they're eating from the animal. He didn't know that it was created from the safe, from the safe Yitzira, that it doesn't need to be shechted. So in his head, he said, oh, my brothers are off the derech, they're eating Eber Menachai. They didn't shech the animal. Then he came close, and he heard the, the six sons of Leah, who studied the safe Yitzira, tell the four brothers from, the two brothers from Zilpah and the two brothers from, from Bila, that you, Cannot learn the Sefi Yitzira because um, Yaakov said it has to come from those two emotes, from Rachel and Leah. From the Shifchas, they're not Kaddish enough to be learning, to be doing this kind of Kabbalah. So he heard them telling the Shvachos, oh, you're not like us. You're from the Shvachos. We're from Rachel and Leah. What they were telling them was, you can't do the Sefi Yitzira, only we could do it. I guess they wanted to help them create this animal. So that's what he heard. So he, he thought, oh my gosh, they're, they're, they're bad-mouthing them. They're, they're, they're embarrassing them. Meanwhile, they were just telling them, you, you can't help us what we we're about to do because you don't know from the Sefi Yitzhira. So, he was Cheshit B'Kshayim. But, if you ask Yosef, he's like, what do you mean? I saw them eat the animal. They didn't shaft it. The answer is, yeah, but you didn't know that they created that animal from the Sefi Yitzhira. So, one of the, one of the biggest lessons in the beginning 
of Parsha Vayeshev is that he brought the Basam raw, he brought this, this Lashon Hara, wasn't true. It looked like it was true. Not everything you see, right? We went to Parsha Vayera, second look. Not everything you see is correct. Okay. Yisrael Ahab, as Yaisib, he called Banav, he loved him the most, he benzakud him well, and he made him a Ksenia's Pasim. Please, something fascinating tonight. He made him a Ksenia's Pasim. There's a machlaikus here. Some of the rabbis said, no. They, he gave them a Ksenia's Pasim. What was a Ksenia's Pasim? When Avraha, when Adam and Chava sinned, Hashem made them Kosnas Ar, clothing made out of Skin, right? We know it was very special because you could go hunting in it. It smelled like an animal. You could go hunting it and the animal would let you come all the way up to it. And it says <coughs> in Pasha's Noach, my Nimrod, because he, he got that, that from Adam, that the animals would bow down to you. If you were wearing that coat, you were the king of the animals. They would bow down to you. All the animals would bow down to you. It brings it down in the Medrash in Pasha's, in Pasha's Noach. Okay? So, it went from Adam, Hashem created for Adam, went from Adam to Nimrod, it went from Nimrod to Esau, it went from Esau to Yaakov, we know that Rivka took it and gave it to Yaakov, and Yaakov now gave it to Yosef. Now, later on it says that they said to their father, they took the coat, they ripped it, they dipped it in blood, Right? The blood of a, of a goat. And they came to Yaakov and said, look what we found. They never said that Yosef was killed. They didn't lie. They just said, look what we found. And Yaakov said, oh my gosh, Torah, 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 Yosef, right? And then they came to be Menachem Avel, their father, and he said, by your mindless Nachem, I refuse. I know you're lying. I know you made this up. I know Yosef's not dead. How do you know Yosef was not dead? Because what did they bring him? The coat. They said a wild animal killed him. A wild animal would never kill you if you're wearing the coat. Because this coat that he gave his son, the animals bowed down to you. So they ripped the coat. By ripping the coat, that meant that the coat was on him when this animal ripped it. He said, it can't be. Because the coat is a protector of the person. Number one. So number two, it says, Shluach mitzvah, when a person is going to do a mitzvah, he can't be hurt. I sent Yosef to see how you're doing, which was kivit of aim. And I did Leviah. I walked him. It says if you walk a person out of your house, a certain amount, he's protected from anything bad to happen. So Yaakov knew that there was something very wrong in this story. He didn't know what was wrong in this story. But he knew that it was impossible that Yosef got ripped up while he was wearing that coat. Because that coat would have protected him. So when they came to be Menachem Avo, he said, don't be Menachem Avo. So, uh, he's not, I don't think he's dead. Something's wrong here. In his jacket, he didn't die. That's for sure. So there's hanky-panky. I don't know exactly what's going on here. But there's no way that an animal would rip his clothing. Okay. Let's go a little bit further. So by Yiru Echav... He He saw the brothers saw that Yaakov loved him more than them. But Yisnu also they hated him. They couldn't even talk to him peacefully. Okay. Then he has his dreams, and they're 
that everyone's bowing down to him, so they're not very happy about that. And Yaakov Avinu decides, I'm talking on Shabbos, we have a Mitzvah Shemar, or Yitzhak Shabbaton. This is really what I'm going to be talking about, because it's very important in a person's life. Yaakov Avinu decides, I'm going to send you to your brothers. Don't tell them no dreams. Tell them that you're coming to see if they're in peace. And then they'll make up, and we'll have this fight, we'll be over. Okay? So, go see your brother and the tone, see how the sheep are doing. He came to Shechem. And a man found him. He was lost in the field. Says Rashi, who is this Ish? Anyone here know who the Ish was? Zeh Gavriel. It was the Malach Gavriel. Before Yaakov had a fight on a mountain. And it says that an Ish was fighting with him. Rashi says, who was that? The Sashal Esav. That was the Satan. How do you know? If Ish means Gavriel here, how do you know Ish doesn't mean Gavriel there? If Ish means the Sashal Esav, over there, then Ish might mean the Sar of Esav over here. Maybe it's the same Ish. How does Rashi know what he's saying? Teretz is a beautiful Teretz. The Ish in the Torah is fighting with you, but there's an Ish fighting with you, it's definitely the Satan. If there's an Ish that's looking to help you because you're lost, it's definitely a Malach Gabriel. In other words, they both had the same name, but what were they doing? One was fighting, Says Rashi, Hasatan. One was asking him, where are you looking to go? You look like you're lost. Zeh Gavriel. Even though they're both ish, depending on what they're doing, you know exactly who they are. Okay, now. What? It's a, right, so it's a, it's not calling it a malach. It's, the Torah is just calling it ish, but he's translating it. Why he's calling it specifically an ish, not a malach? Well, maybe they were in ish form. Because when he was fighting with Yaakov, he wasn't in a Malach form. He wasn't fighting with wings and an angel. He was fighting with, maybe the Satan was in a, and, and here also, this man who helped him was really Malach Gabriel, but it was a man. But he was in the, he met him in the form of a man. That's probably what, what the answer is. Anyway. So the question's like this. The Pesach says, A man found him and he was lost. It should say, he was lost and a man found him. First you get lost and someone finds you. Not they find you and then you get lost. So it seems to be um, very, very wrong order. Then the Malach says to him, Matavakesh, what are you looking for? If Rashi's right and it's the Malach Gavriel, he knew exactly what he was looking for. He was looking for his brothers. Why are you asking? <coughs> the answer is as follows. <coughs> it's a lesson to us. Not everybody can you tell is lost. Like you say, Ayu Ish. The first thing you need to have with your with your children is you need to find them. You need to give them time. And if you if you sit down and you talk to them, you might find out that the kid you thought wasn't lost is really very lost. So it's not he was lost and I found him. Because once the kid's lost, you have to have intervention. Intervention is way harder than prevention. 
But if you spend time, you say, you find the time to spend with your child, you might find out that he needs that they're lost. If it goes the other way around, they're already lost, and then you find them, there's a lot of damage that's been done. You need to find them, and then find out by talking to them, you know, mom's struggling with this, mom's struggling with that. Not once they're struggling, that's when you find out. What's this matavakesh? This is very important. He said to him, I know you're going to meet your brothers. He was a malach. He said, but Yosef, dreams, going back to your father, what do you want? What do you, what do you want? Forget about where they are. Yosef Atzadik, what do you want? There was someone in my house tonight, struggling very much. And I asked him, I said, you came to talk to me. Tell me what you want. What do you want me to do? I hear the whole problem. What do you want? Do you want to get help? Do you want not to get help? Do you want to sleep all day? What do you want? So the Malach asked him, Matvakesh, Yosef, what do you really want? And he said something that we all want. I want my brothers, I want to be accepted. I want to be accepted. Tell me where they are. Yosef HaTzadik all the time felt outcast. He was an outcast. They didn't like him. They didn't talk to him. They didn't talk to him. He said to the Malach, you really want to know what I want? I want to be accepted as a brother. Okay? So he said, fine. He said, I know where they are. They're in Desaina. You'll find them there. They saw him from afar. When you see someone from afar, you cannot have a relationship with them. You cannot understand them. Before they gave him a chance to even get close, they planned to kill him. They never gave him a chance to say why he's coming. Maybe he's coming with a million dollars from their father. Maybe he's coming with news that someone died. They already said, we don't care. We don't care why he's coming. We know why he's coming. The dreamer is coming. He's not coming for any other reason, because we judged him already. He's a dreamer. Let's go kill him. Let's throw him into a pit. We'll tell everyone that a wild animal ate him. We'll see, we'll see already what his dreams are. I saw something amazing today. I did not understand it right away. It took me a little while. I'm going to tell you something, an amazing Zvatara that I saw today. Mamash, for this year, I didn't say it last night. Ruven was the one of the Shvatim that said to them, don't kill him. Let's put him in this pit, right? And we'll, we're not going to kill him. And we'll leave him in the pit. And then we'll see what happens. But don't kill him. Then we're going to kill him on the spot. He said, don't kill him. Why did Ruven say, why was Ruven the one that said, don't kill him? I saw today because Ruven had Hakara Satayv. 
Reuven had a karsatov to Yosef. Even though Yosef said what he said about the bowing down, Reuven had a karsatov. Why did Reuven have gratitude to Yosef, little boy, 17 years old? Listen to this. Listen to how far, I wish I would have known this, I would have put it in my book on Akarsatov. Listen to how far Akarsatov happens. When he said over the dream, he said, He said, I saw in my dream the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Okay, why 11? Why not 12? Because Yosef wasn't bowing down to himself. There were 12 brothers. So 11 brothers were bowing down to me. Now Ruvain was excommunicated because of what he did with the bed, the whole story in the week last week's parasha. He switched the bed and his father got very angry at him because he switched the bed on him and therefore he was excommunicated. <coughs> Because, this is what the Bhattari says. This is amazing. Whoever listening to this, I didn't, didn't, never said this before. Ruben said, because Yosef included me as one of the Shvatim that, that bowed down to me, means that in his head, I wasn't excommunicated. Because in his dream, there were 11, which means I was there. I owe him a gratitude. He dreamt, I owe him a gratitude that he included me with the other brothers. That's not normal. He had a dream. That's all he had. We had a dream, right? But no. I was one of the guys in his dream that bowed down. It means I'm one of the boys again. I'm going to save his life. <laughs> it's a, a lesson in Akaras HaTov. So far. He had a dream. that He had a dream about you. You dreamt about me and I was one of the boys? I owe you a favor. That's how far Akaras HaTov goes. Matavakesh. I want to go there for a minute. Go back to Matavakesh. I've said this story before, but I haven't said it in a while. I said it today in seminary. It's very, very important. So, when I opened up BCA, my high school, um, a while, while back, by the way, I'm going to get very angry at me if I don't mention it, that the Shabbaton, not not to be very upset if I don't mention it, Shabbaton is January 5th at Shabbos. Um, It's just not not long. It's like three weeks. And um, it's in Connecticut, and... We only have 275 rooms. That's it. I didn't take out the whole hotel. So when we're full, we're full. And everybody waits till the last three days. I'll sleep on the floor. I'll sleep in a closet. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take the luggage upstairs for everybody. And Watson, you got to get me in. And I'm like, oh, we can't do it. Ah. No, it doesn't work that way. We have only a certain amount of kids, people in a room, and there's only 275 rooms. So please call the office, which is very simple to remember, 718-OHR-R. Nava, N-A-A-V. Okay? Um, and they'll pick up the phone and they'll make reservations for you. You can go online to events, I think, um, at ornava.com. Just go to ornava, just you'll find it. You'll find it somewhere. It's an amazing, amazing Shabbaton, whoever's been there. There's four, five hundred girls, Toronto, Montreal's coming, Detroit, Chicago, from all over the place. It's, it's energy, they're up all night. We have Ask the Rabbi from 11.30 at night till Shachris. Seriously, they can tell you the standard. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore because by two, three o'clock, they're asking questions and they're, they're like, Red Wallstein, so like, you know, what do you think about this? And I'm like, I don't know, I think it's blue wool or white wool or something like that. And I'm like, like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. So we got very smart girls. We got very smart. The rabbis got together because 
Shachlis was at 8.30, and we had to stay up all the way, all night from 11.30 to 8.30. So we decided four years ago that we're going to down Vosikin. Vosikin is at 5 o'clock. So that, that way we don't have to stay up till 8.30 in the morning. But it's, it's amazing. I have the most amazing um, people coming to speak. Charlie Harari is going to be there. Everybody, everyone's going to be there. And Mati Shabbos, we have this crazy band. Uh, we have Yoni coming and the guy that sings that song. What's his name? Milo Cohn. We have Milo Cohn coming. I'm trying to get him for Shabbos because I want him to tell the story. Here's a story. So we have a fantastic concert. The food is amazing. Hotel is beautiful. Spend the Shabbos. It's once a year. That's it. We only do it once a year. We, have, we did it last year. We hadn't done it for five years before that. So everybody's invited. And you can sell raffle tickets and use that money. And then you don't have to pay at all. You can mamish come for free. That's it. So raffle tickets. I have them in the next room. You want them? I have them. So your raffle tickets at work. Everyone will buy it. They want to go to Eretz Yisrael. It's a free trip. You go for free. You can come for Shabbat home for free. Whoever, whoever doesn't come, I don't know. Probably have a date Matzah Shabbos or something. I don't know. That could be the only reason that we'll let you off. Okay. Now, push it to Sunday. All right. Don't push it. Anyway. So, Matavakesh. I, I want to tell you over a story that I said today. It's very, very important. And then we'll end with one more story. That's from the from this unbelievable Eitzah place at Torah, which is just an amazing, amazing safer. Very, also very, very important. We'll end with that. Okay. So, when I opened up BCA, which is... Ten years already. Ten years ago. My high school. Um, so we did a lot of work with the girls. And we did great. From like Monday, therapy and classes. And they were doing great. And then Friday, we go home for Shabbos. And there was a lot of dysfunction in many of their homes. They would come back Monday, losing everything that happened the week before. So we redid it. They lost it. We redid it. They lost it. So we were just spinning our wheels. They weren't going anywhere. And a lot of the girls didn't move. We had them really going good, and then they get pushed back. We had them going really good. So five years after I started school, I, I, I said, we have to do something here. Because this is not working. We can't. All this energy, and then get pushed back again. Let's build a dorm. We build a dorm, so the girls will be Shabbos with us, and Sunday with us, and not have to go home. Whatever we put into them, we'll be able to keep and build from there. So we went looking, we went looking, we found this building, it was pretty much a very ratty building, and it would cost $350,000 to fix the building. So, okay, I'm going to go to Eretz Yisrael for Yom Kippur, and I'm going to go to Rav Steinman, Baruch Hashem, he's, he's already 103 years old, and very interesting, Rav Steinman, if anyone ever saw a picture of him, is this Godol of Klai Yisrael, that's 103, that lives in B'nai Barak in a teeny little house with like one room, and he doesn't leave. He just sits and learns. And he's a shtayman. He's a good old door. When I came, it's already 15 years or Nava, maybe a little bit more. Um, I came to him for a bracha that I was opening or Nava to get a bracha. So I come in there. You have to have connections, you know. And I got there right after he finished his shir. He has like all these 70-year-old men learning with him. So they're all tamidei chachamim. And you have to wait till they finish, and then you go into the room for a bracha. So when I was in the room, all these Talmud come from Bnei Brak, also Gedalim, were in the room. So I came up to Rav Steinman, I said, I'd like to get a bracha. I'm opening a place for women. Um, night program, to keep them off the street, to give them chizik. So I'd like to rub if he could, this is a true story, if I'd like to rub if he can give me a bracha. So this is a man that's living in Bnei Brak. He says to me, what time is it open? 
I said, 8 o'clock at night. He says, what time does it close? I said, 11 o'clock. He says, Was wird sein mit dem Mädelach? Was zenen dreisen bis drei, vier, zege? What's going to be with all the girls that are on the streets till 3, 4 o'clock? This is Legal Hadar, who never walked out of his house. I'm like, how does he know about this, right? I said, oh, the Rav, give me a bracha. We'll start with 11. And we'll work over the year, you know. He says, how old are they? I said, well, we're opening up for seven, from 17 to 120. That's when we, when we first advertised. I said, ladies, 17 to 120. Nobody walked in on 120, but okay, whatever. So he says to me, now, he's not a joker. This is not a man that makes jokes, ever. He says to me, was sein, what will be the Bible if the woman would sein 121? You're not going to let her in? These women were sitting there. They were like, Steinman made a joke. It was like, they were, this is a true story. They were like, wow. So I said to him, when it'll happen that a girl, a woman will come in 121, I'll call the Rav. And you'll tell me what to do. So he says, it's that Nizhzayim, it'll never happen. So I'm thinking, because the brachas, I may have asked him till 120. That's what I'm thinking, that's why he's saying it. And I said, yo, yo, stay that, you know, uh, people only live till 120. He goes, nah, that's not the reason. He says, Cain Viable, there's no woman who ever tells her real age. That's what he said. Now these guys were like flipping out totally. So every time I go to Rav Steinman, I say over, I was the guy who you said that, that women don't tell their real age. And he smiles and he's like, like that's like the only joke he ever made probably in his life. Whatever. <laughs> so anyway, so we had a relationship. So now I'm opening up BCN and I need a dorm, I need money. So I said, I said, listen, to, I told the story. I said, we're, we're working and then, we, then they go home and we're working and when they don't go home. The girls really want me to build a house for them. That we could put the girls in that could be there for Shabbos and weekends and, and during the week they don't have to go home. And, and I would really like to do that. I really want to do this. I said, I said, I said, Rosh Hashiva, I really want to do this. Maybe the Rosh can give me a bracha that I should be able to raise the money. He looks up at me. He says, I'm expecting a bracha, is what he says. Who says Hashem wants this building? Like, no, no, Rosh Hashiva, it's not for me. I'm not building a new house. I thought he couldn't hear. I'm not building a new house. It's for the Meilich, the Meilich that we talked about. You know, the Meilich, they need a, they want a house. They want a house. He looks at me, he says, who says Hashem wants such a house? I'm thinking to myself, because the girls are off the derech, who knows what's going to go on, maybe guys are going to be in the house. Ah, Gal Hador is not, he's not, not, he's not giving me a bracha, he's cursing me. He's saying, it ain't happening. Hashem don't want this house. So I turned white, I was like, oh my gosh, you know. So I remember I walked out. So, so then I said, no, I don't think the Rashiva understands me. The guy said, out. Leave him alone. That's enough. You, if you don't understand what he's saying, too bad. Out. Next guy's coming in. I walked out. I called my brother. I'm like, I can't believe what just happened. I asked him. And not only did he give me a bracha, he said, Hashem doesn't want it. So I'm the kind of guy like, okay, you didn't give me a bracha. I'm doing it anyway. So I tried to raise money because I knew I needed that house, that house. And I think we raised like $2,000. I try to name the house. I tried all the tricks. Nothing. When the, when the Godel doesn't give you a bracha, it ain't happening. Next year, I came back to him. Now, you have to remember, Rav Steinman sees thousands of people a year. Thousands. Everybody with different problems. Okay? But you have to understand a Godel. A Godel, 
when you talk to him, he listens to every single word. I said, Rosh Hashiva, it got worse. America is much worse. The kids on the street are doing much worse. I need to build a house. I need Rosh Hashiva to give me a bracha. The girls need a place to be. Some of them are sleeping on the street. Rosh Hashiva, I need a bracha. He looks at me. He says, within three months, when you come back from Eretz Yisrael, within three months, you'll have the money. And he says, the Shekhinah will live in the house with the girls. Totally opposite of the year before. I'm thinking to myself, you balavera, you need to do tshuva, it's your fault. I'm thinking, why would... So I said to him, I said, if I might ask Rosh Hashiva, why couldn't Rosh Hashiva give me this bracha last year? I asked you the same thing. Thousands of people. I spent two minutes with him, Arab Yom Kippur. He says to me, it's not what you asked last year. I said, I asked that last year. He says, no. Last year you said... The vils, you want to build a house, and the girls want the house. You know what? He said, people want a lot of things. Not always what people want does Hashem want. He said, but this year, you said that it got worse, and that the girls need a dorm, and I need a dorm. He said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives all his children what they need, but not always what they want. I was like, whoa. Three months I had that money. I had that money less than three months. I was in BCA. This guy was there, rich guy, whatever it was. We're talking about the dorm. He said, I'll give 100. The other guy that was his friend was next to him. He says, so I'm going to give and you're not going to give? He said, okay, I'll also give 100. And then one of my friends was visiting and they both said to him, and you, what? You're not going to help Rabbi Wallstein? All right, I'll also give 100. Boom, 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 it was done. And one day, and one day, and I learned that when you dive into Hashem, I want is not enough. You want? Who says I want? When a person downloads to Hashem, I need, then Hashem gives you what you need. So I actually did something that was not so nice for a change. Um, I was speaking to a group of single girls who were between 35 and up, and they were single, some 40s. And I said, listen, I, I don't understand your pain whatsoever. I don't understand loneliness. I just, I know people tell me it's very painful. I got married when I was very young, whatever it is. So I'm not here to judge you, but I'm going to make a statement and please don't be angry at me. I said, I want to ask you girls, there's a group of, a large group of girls. I said, I want to ask you women. How many of you in this room want to get married? Everybody rose their hand. I said, okay. How many women in this room need to get married. And they're like, what do you mean? You need to get married. You can't live like this anymore. Or, listen, I'd like to get married. I want to have children. All all my friends got married. Um, There's peer pressure, whatever it is. But, you know, I have a good job. I go out with my friends once the Shabbos. And, you know, we go on trips in the summer for three weeks, all single girls. I, I, I want to get married. I said, how many of you need to get married? Until you need to get married, it ain't happening. You gotta feel like you need to get married. Person dominates to Hashem and says, now, I don't want to get married because my friends are married or for that. I cannot live not married. I need to get married. Steinman said, when you dominate to Hashem and you tell him that you need something and you really need it, 
If it's good for you, Hashem will give it to you. But if you just say, I want to, I would like to, it would be nice, Hashem's like, you want to, I don't want to. It's a very big lesson. It was a very big lesson. Yosef HaTzadik needed to be, I, I, we'll have to do this next week in Mitzvah, we'll continue on this. Yosef HaTzadik needed, what did, he needed to be included in his brothers, and you will see all the way till Pasha's Vayigash, that he was totally not accepted at all. Even after he said, I am Yosef, your brother, none of them kissed him. None of them hugged him. He went to every one of them and kissed and hugged them. Look at the Pasha. Look at the, what it says in the Chumash. Look at the words. They didn't come running to him and kiss him and say, we're so sorry what we did to you and we love you. No. He still wasn't accepted. He went to each one of them and hugged them and said, don't worry about it. All right. Acceptance is huge. It's a big word. That's why a lot of kids are in the street today. Because the school didn't accept them. Their parents don't accept them. The street accepts everyone. Skirt, pants, smart, not smart, good family, bad family, they don't care who you come from. You're in the street, you're one of us. Gang mentality. That's why there's so many kids in the street today. Because they feel unaccepted. The street accepts everyone. There's a price to pay for girls, they're going to pay a price. But you know what? Some girls feel it's worth it. I'm accepted. I got friends. There are people that I hang out with. There are people that I chill with. In school, nobody talked to me. My parents, they don't talk to me. I don't feel accepted. Really, it's called gang mentality. In California, there's gangs and gangs that will kill. They'll kill to be in the bloods. They'll, they'll kill to be in a gang. Why? Because these are kids that, Spanish, whatever, whatever kids they are, they have no families. They have no connections. So these kids are all willing to belong to a gang. I want to belong. Every human being wants to belong. Yosef Atzadik, Vatavakish, what do you want? I want to belong. I want to be one of the Shvatim. I want to be one of the brothers. And, and we're willing to sacrifice so much just to belong. It's a very important thing. So when you're Mitzvah Shem, you have, you have to accept friends. And when you're a mother, you have, to, you have to accept your child no matter what they're going through, no matter what they're doing. You have to show them acceptance. Because if they don't feel accepted, they will find a place to be accepted. And usually it is not a good place. Because you don't have to do anything to be accepted in the street. Just do nothing. You don't have to do your homework. You don't have to get dressed. You don't have to put on your makeup. You don't have to be the, the, the fanciest kid in the class. They don't care who you are, what you are. You're one of us. You chill with us. You hang with us. And that's why it's such a big draw. So end with this. I want to show you. We spoke about it a little bit last week, but from the worst of the worst situation, what the amazing things that can come out of the biggest trauma and the worst situation. I know that someone spoke here before me who went through trauma and she was saying how she did. I'm, and I'm sure she spoke very well. It, it's, it's in the past. It's in the past. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who I, she, I know she spoke about, she went through stuff and she, she ended up having a family and she, she's a very brave and very, it's unbelievable that she speaks about it and what she did. But, but, we got a big one, bigger than anyone's story in the world, and that's Dina. And Dina was eight years old, seven, eight years old, says the Medrash, when Shem accosted her, I'm using a good word, when he physically abused her, to the point that she got pregnant. It wasn't Stam, he got her pregnant. And it's the 
what bigger trauma story? If I wanted to raise money, and I put up a picture of an eight-year-old girl that was accosted by force and is pregnant, I wouldn't have to raise. I wouldn't have to go out and raise a dollar. It would be. Whatever I needed would be there. There's nothing to talk about. If that was my poster child, well, Dina was that poster child. She was eight years old with a big belly. Okay, a little eight-year-old girl with a big belly, not because she wanted. And she had a baby. And that baby was a girl. And that baby was Osnas. And Osnas ended up in Mitzrayim. And she was adopted by Potiphar. I want to read you what she did for Yosef. And it says the following. In the Chizkuni... In the Medrash Agada, it says, I'm sorry, it's not, it's not in the Zikuni, it's in the Yalkut Shemoni. Shepotifa Ratzalaharag is Yosef. Potifa wanted to kill Yosef. Al Shetova as Ishtai, because he believed that Yosef molested Potifa's wife, Ashish Potifa. The punishment for that, molesting a wife, especially a Sar Shalparo is death. So he decided we're going to take out Yosef and kill him. Achabos Ela Bito, until his little daughter, Osnas, because she was adopted, so she considered his daughter, came to him secretly. Benishba, and she swore. Ben Emes, and she told Potiphar the truth and saved Yosef's life. And that's why Potiphar only sent him to jail. He didn't hang him. Hashem said, Hashem said, since you saved Yosef, I swear, the Shvatim, the holy Shvatim of Ephraim and Menashe, that's going to come out of Yosef, right? Mashiach shall Yosef. I promise you, it's going to come through you. So in the end, from the most terrible story that we can imagine, an eight-year-old little girl walking around, right, pregnant, and then having a baby, the worst story. Not willingly, by Shem, a low life, an older guy, a low life, mamash abuse, and our day and age, he's in jail for life, right? The baby that was born from that, which was her biggest embarrassment to have a baby from a, a guy who did that to her, the baby that was born from that saved Yosef's life. Saved Yosef's life. And by saving Yosef's life, Yosef, we know, saved the world from hunger because he translated the dream. Had she, not, had she not saved Yosef's life, the whole world would have starved. So from the worst place came a little girl who saved the world. And from her, and Yosef came, Mashiach Shal, Mashiach Ben Yosef. What a lesson to all of us that from the biggest trauma and the biggest tragedy, don't give up. Don't give up. There was a person in my house tonight who said, It's Hashem's fault that I have become who I have become. It's my mother's fault. My father wasn't in my life. And what my mother put me through, that's why, Rabbi Wallstein, I am who I am today. And I looked at him, 
And I said the following, we'll end the year with this. It might be Hashem's fault that you fell, and it might be your parents' fault that you fell. But it's your fault that you didn't get up. Have a good night. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.